Amen. Hey, once again, we're in our study, World Religions, Cults, and the Occult, number 13. It's the title of Charismatic Chaos. Chaos. That's right. Part two. That's right. Because we all know we've already been in the study for 20 times with the first half. But now we're in the second half, the untold history of the charismatic movement. Is the charismatic movement a new wave of God's spirit? Is this something that we're just being old fuddy-duddies and we're resisting this latest end times days revival of God's spirit and we're just missing out on this? No, not at all. As we're now going to get into part two, the second half of our study, the history section, this is nothing new under the sun. In fact, Solomon said that, if you ever read through Ecclesiastes, there is nothing new under the sun, it's the same thing. It's just been repackaged, this charismatic behavior and mindset, and rehashed from generation to generation. You know why? Because it's a classic phrase in history, those who don't learn their history are what? They are doomed to what? Repeat it. It's the same old tactics, same old lie, but since people don't understand the history, man, they just fall for it over and over again. Then Satan waits for another generation to die off. Here comes another one. He just repackages it, new colors, put a bow on top. They fall for it again. And that's what we're going to see tonight. So let's begin that journey by opening our Bibles to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, of course, that wonderful book for Christian lumberjacks in the Northwest Americas. No, that's a different kind of axe. It's A-X. This is A-C-T-S, for those of you hooked on phonics or something. Uh, Acts chapter 17. Let's take a look at a group of people that was applauded because they actually had the, if you will, the audacity to question whether something really did come from God. Right? And again, they, we're going to see they were applauded. God actually mentioned these people and said, this is a good example. But you and I, when we question these people saying, I got a word from God. God told me to tell you, I got a new revelation, the spirit of God. And then we actually question and dare I say, do what these people do and apply it according to the scripture, test it according to the scripture. We're the ones who are wrong. Man, that's not what the Bible says. The book of Acts, I gave you enough time. Acts 17, we're going to read verses 10 through 12. Let's take a look at the Bereans. And here's what it says. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. And on arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now, the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. Why? Because they received new messages from God. They got into an ecstatic state. That's right. They rolled around on the floor. They got into this altered state of consciousness. And their brain got into a trance. And all of a sudden, a light shone through the shower. And it told them an angel of God. No, why were they more noble character? What did they do? They received the message, and the message from Paul. Now, Paul, this is the Apostle Paul who did see Jesus with his own eye. This is the Apostle Paul who was caught up into the third heaven that saw things that he couldn't even repeat. I mean, this is Paul. So they received the message all right, right? They listened with great eagerness, but they what? They examined the scriptures. Nah, I'm sure it's in there somewhere. No, every day they were diligent to see if what? Even what the Apostle Paul said was true. These people didn't take nobody's word for it. If somebody came on the scene, even the Apostle Paul, and says, this is what God says, oh yeah? Just a second, we'll get back with you. That's what they were doing. And God says these people were noble, noble character, right? And as a result, because they tested it, made sure it was with God, what happened? Many of the Jews believed, as also did a number of the prominent Greek women and many Greek men. In other words, a lot of people got saved. Why? Because when you really do hear the truth, receive the truth, test it, make sure it's true, and then you get busy sharing the truth, what happens? 
People get saved. People become disciples, dare I say, those who are saved, right? And, and that's what we do. The truth, you'll show, know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. That's how powerful the truth is. But again, these people were applauded because they didn't take nobody's word for it. They tested it according to the word of God. And that's what we're going to do now in this part two, the back half of our study, believe it or not, okay, of the charismatic chaos, now the untold history. We're going to be Bereans, and we're going to go back through history, okay, and we're going to see if their whole premise is true. Let's test it, all right? Let's be Bereans, is they, are they really some last days movement of God? That's why it's so strange. That's why you, you, this behavior seems kind of erratic and unusual. Because it's, it's the last outpouring of God's spirit on the planet. Before the second coming of Christ. And I'll ble- Not at all. We're going to be brains, folks. And this is nothing new. Now, the reason why is because there's a danger with the charismatic mindset that we saw in the first 20 weeks. Not only leads to all kinds of aberrant behavior and aberrant false beliefs, and a bad witness, dare I say, okay, but it, it, the premise of the charismatic movement is it leads people away from this, and it rhymes with Bible. What is it? Man, praise God you guys can read tonight. That's right. The Bible, it leads people away from the Bible. Because you don't need the Bible, you just need an experience. You don't, need, you don't need to listen to what God's recorded truth is for us. You, you just need somebody to have a vision and tell you. It leads people away from the Bible. And that's what cults do, folks. That's why this is finishing up this section on the cults. Okay, but let me read to you what one guy says. He says, the question remains, is the charismatic movement scriptural? You guys want to fill in the blank there? Yeah, it rhymes with no. Uh, he says, we can best answer that question this way. We know that since the creation of mankind, Satan's insidious master plan has been simply to put the veil between God's children and God's what? His word, what God says to be true. It began in the Garden of Eden when the serpent asked Eve, did God really say? Well, what's he doing? He's attacking God's word, what God said right? Genesis chapter 3. He's causing doubt, raising doubt as to the authority and the authenticity of what God said. And ever since that day, Satan continues the attack, the inerrancy and the sufficiency of the Bible. What's that mean? Meaning that what do we need to grow up as to a Christian? Do we need something more than this? No, the sufficiency of the scripture. All that we need is right here. I don't need a new, new word from God. But that's the premise of the charismatic movement. You need something more than this. This isn't good enough. Okay, so it attacks the inerrancy and the sufficiency of the Bible. Without question, we know that Satan has stepped up the pace of his strategy. And we see that today, big time. We are witnessing a growing menace of demonic activity where Satan does not listen. He does not succeed in taking the Bible from us. Rather, he works hard at taking us from the Bible. How many churches today, I'm not even talking charismatic, even have Bibles in the pews anymore? How many churches, I'm not even talking charismatic again. How many Christians coming to church service do you see even bring a Bible? Okay, that's bad enough. But again, the charismatic premise is even if they got one in the pew, even if you show up with one, you basically aren't ever going to turn to it because you're just looking at the show and trying to have an experience. And that's what it is. He can't take away the Bible. If you look out throughout history, what has Satan tried to do throughout history? Destroy the Bible. But it keeps on going. Way better than the Energizer Bunny. Okay, this is the God, right? You, you can't destroy it. So he knows that. So he just switched tactics. And what's he do? You got plenty of Bibles. We got more Bibles than what we know what to do with. 92% of households, including households of atheists, own at least one copy of the Bible. So guess what? It's there. The truth's right in front of them. Just trick them into never turn the page, opening it up. 
And that's what the charismatic movement basically does. That's the big danger, okay? And it's a spiritual issue. He does this simply by getting us Christians to focus their attention on the claims of men and women to have some supernatural experience. And as a result, those who seek after these experiences uh, of others have neither time nor interest in searching the scriptures for God's truths. Can I translate that for you? To be what our opening passage says. To be a what? A Berean. To get into the word of God every single day. When you're in the word of God every single day, can anybody fool you with a lie? No, you'll be able to spot it just like that. So, of course, he doesn't want you in the Bible uh, uh, every day. Now, there is no denying that God can, if he wants to, perform a miracle. We've said that from the get-go, right? However, the core truth is this. The body of Christ does not need new apostles, new faith healers, new self-styled miracle workers. What the church needs is a return to the word of God and to proclaim the whole counsel of God in the power and love of the Holy Spirit. That's what we need today. And that's what's dangerous with this movement. Again, all that, which is good, if you stick with the word of God, you proclaim the truth of God, people get saved, as we saw in our text, okay, and then, then we become disciples, disciplined learners. Jesus said the last thing on earth, Matthew 28, what's he say? He's leaving the earth. Powerful, powerful passage. Don't just go out there, okay, and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, okay, reiterating the Trinity, by the way, okay, but again, he says what? Make what? Believers? Experiencers? Pew sitters? Numbers? No, disciples, we saw that's our study. Disciples, mathetes, which I believe is where we get the word mathematics. It means disciplined learner. Learner of what? The Bible. That's what we need. Why is the church so apathetic, so weak, so disengaged? My guess is you're not in the word. Because if you're in the word, man, you can't help but share it. Right? And number two, you get busy serving Jesus Christ. Because all through the Bible it says this, if you love me, you what? You keep my commands. And nobody's greater than his master. And if Jesus came and served us, what do you think you should be doing? Serving. And if he loved people enough, right, and quote, ate with the sinners, right, and reached out to people, what are we going to be doing? We're going to be sharing the gospel. Not because we have to, but because we love him. The word of God does that. Okay? But it's not happening today. So let's go and put their premise to the test. Well, okay, I get that. That's important. But you don't understand. We've got to have this latest movement of the Spirit of God. This is what we need in the last days to be a powerful witness. Really? It's a recent thing? Don't think so. Right? Now, we saw on the issue in our part one of the charismatic chaos, we had a whole many studies on the spiritual gifts. And we saw that basically the gifts are in two sections, one that are still in function for today, okay, by context, by the scripture, not just because that's what we conveniently want to believe, and I'm not going to rehash that. We had, what, six or seven of those studies, right? But we saw that some were not for today. They were temporary, okay? Another sign is the sign gifts, right? They were given for a sign at that time. But once we had the completed Revelation, the New Testament, the Bible completed, Old and New Testament for us, written down for us, of the teachings of Jesus and the apostles that came from Jesus. You don't need a new revelation. So certain of these sign gifts, okay, uh, were temporary by nature, okay? Now, they basically had ceased, but it didn't take long before Satan had somebody rise up, if you will, you know, we don't, I don't know every single nook and cranny of history, but this very well could have been the very first charismatic okay, person in church history. And it's about 150, okay, A.D., right? Now, the Apostle John, okay, wrote the book of Revelation, 95, 96 A.D., shortly after that, he passed away. So about 50 years later, all, all of a sudden, you know, and it's, it's done, 
you, you don't need the gifts, the last of the apostles, all that stuff. We, we got the Bible formulated for us. Okay, here comes this guy we talked about before, Montanus, at 150 AD. This guy basically was your first charismatic mindset. Okay, nothing new under the sun. This whole idea that this thing's the latest spirit of God movement, I'll just use these words, it's a lie. Okay, it's, it's not even close to being true. Okay, now, of course, this guy was so full of himself, he started this new movement, okay? His name was Montanus, so guess what? He named the movement Montanism, okay, right? So if it's Ruth, it's Ruthanism, right? And that's what governs the house, right, Ruth? Is what the law of Ruth, right, has spoken. No, I, well, John's not here, so I can pick on you. Uh, Montanism, okay, also he had a new word. Now, as we're going to go through this history, you're going to see even the same type of charismatic verbiage was used 2,000 years ago or more. It's nothing new, not even the verbiage, right? But he, it was either Montanism, he called it, or here it is. This sounds great. The new prophecy. <laughs> that sounds just like today, doesn't it? This is 150 AD, folks. Now, here's what he is. He was a recent convert. You wonder why the Bible says when it talks about leadership in the church, elders and deacons, it says, make sure that guy's not a recent convert. Why? You might want to get some foundation going first before you cut that guy loose with some authority, right? And also, that's so he can handle the word of God, make sure that he's not led astray, and also, he doesn't get a big hit. What the Bible says. Well, he was a recent convert, okay, and he went. He went as he was in a small village in a place called Phrygia, and uh, he quotes, here it is. Remember, it's all this charismatic stuff. It's, it's only new. This is only recently. This has an outbreak of God's spirit and this behavior. No. He fell into a trance and began to, quote, prophesy under the influence of the Spirit. Well, there it is, right? Remember, we saw all you got to do is add that phrase, in the Spirit, after whatever weird behavior you're doing, and somehow it makes it Christian. But that's what he did. He, and he was joined by two women. One was called Prissa or Priscilla. The other one was Maximilla. And they also began to, quote, prophesy, okay? But let's take a look at this, I would say, the first charismatic, and it wasn't recent, folks. It was right after the death of the last of the apostles. Let's take a look at what was going on there. Today we're talking about Montanism. A long time ago, in what is now called Turkey, there was a province called Phrygia, a former kingdom in Asia Minor, and in that province there was a man named Montanus. Because this was so long ago, not much is known about his actual life or birth, but we do know that he was a talented preacher, and that he was probably preaching sometime between 135 and 177 AD. Montanus lived in the town of Pepuza and preached to Christians, but it didn't take him long to start making strange predictions. He claimed to be a prophet of God, and that the paraclete, which Jesus had promised to send to his people, who it turned out was the Holy Spirit, spoke through him. He said that the towns of Pepiza and Timion, both in Phrygia, were where the new Jerusalem would be, and declared Pepiza to be his headquarters. He also surrounded himself with two women named Prissa or Priscilla, and Maximilla, who became even more popular than Montanus himself, and together they preached penance and fervor, emphasizing that miraculous gifts were continuing, like prophecy and speaking in tongues. However, Montanus also began claiming that his teachings were above those of the church, and he and his followers, having founded a movement referred to as the New Prophecy, started to claim that Jesus would return very, very soon in Pepiza, his own hometown. 
In time, of course, this prophecy turned out to be false, Montanism lost its steam, and of course, more orthodox Christian preachers continued to oppose him on a lot of these things. So it was only a matter of time before Montanism came to an end in the last parts of the 2nd century AD. In modern day terms, Montanists should probably be seen in the same light as a charismatic televangelist, but without television. He's the man who talked about miracles and prophecies, spoke in tongues, called people up from the audience, and made big promises to a world looking for some end to the persecutions of the early church. And ultimately, it turned out to be just a scam. While we don't need to watch out for Montanus anymore, and I seriously doubt any of us will ever become believers in Montanism, it's important to keep in mind how easily his kind of scams can prey on the innocent and the desperate, and to keep our eyes out for other scam artists in our own age. Believe me, there's plenty of them. And guess where they're coming from? A lot of them. Right here, folks. 150 AD, roughly. So much for being a new movement. That's why this behavior is so strange, because this is brand spanking new in the last days. Not even close, folks. It's just been rehashed. And we got tons more examples. But Eusebius, he's a church historian, he talks about and records uh, about this Montanus guy. Listen to what he says to him. He says, quote, in Montanus, in his lust for leadership... He became obsessed and would suddenly fall into a frenzy and convulsions. He began to use ecstatic speech, the gibberish, talking strangely, and prophesied contrary to that which was custom to the beginning of the church, i.e. from the word of God. What does this sound like? It sounds like possession too, but it sounds like what's going on today, that we're being sold a bill of goods. Oh, it's the latest movement of God. Those who heard him were convinced he was possessed. This is in, around his lifetime, folks. I, I would think they would know better about this guy. They were there, right? They rebuked him and forbid him to speak, remembering the warning, of, the warning of the Lord Jesus in the Bible to be watchful because false prophets would come. Saying they got a new revelation. That's all that's going on today, folks. False teachers, false teaching, false prophets, right? Now, this style of prophesying was likened to the same irrational ecstatic prophetic style that was a part of Montanus's life prior to his conversion when he was a priest of Sybil, which is a, a, a cult sect that we saw before. So basically, a lot of this behavior, where did it come from? It came from occult practices, as we already saw with a lot of the charismatic behavior. Where does it come from? The same three threads, and we'll eventually even get to that in even more detail. The occult practices, just like him, right? It also comes from Hinduism and New Age, not the new one of the sun, okay? So he goes on and says, the early church rejected Montanus and the prophetesses and their prophecies. The rejection was based on the Bible. So if the early church, right after the death of the last apostles, he rejected and says, man, that's possession. You're just a false prophet like Jesus warned us about in the Bible. And they clearly, unashamedly rejected him, rebuked him, forbid him ever to speak in the church again. What do you think we should be doing today? Oh, but you guys just don't understand. You're resisting the movement of the Spirit of God. You're, old, you're one of those fundamentalists. You got a religious spirit. No, we're just being Bereans, following what the Bible has to say. Okay, you're the one that's in air. Right. Now, it's significant that tongues are mentioned only in the earliest books of the New Testament. Paul wrote at least 12 epistles after 1 Corinthians and never mentions tongues again. Peter never mentions tongues. James never mentions tongues. John never mentions tongues. Neither did Jude. Tongues appeared only briefly in Acts, which is a transitional book, 
showing the sign gifts is they're transcending, letting them know, yes, we're going from the old covenant to the new covenant. We already dealt with that in great detail in the first part of our study. And 1 Corinthians, the message of the gospel was being spread. But once the church was established, tongues were gone. They stopped, and the later books of the New Testament do not ever once mention tongues again. Nor does anyone in the post-apostolic age, i.e. after the death of the last apostles. They're not even hinted at. Early church writers such as Polycarp, Papias, Cyprian, Christostom, Augustine, Origen, etc. They never mentioned tongues. Why? Because they ceased. This is the evidence, not only the scripture, this is the evidence of early church history. During the first 500 years of the church, the only, listen, direct quote, the only people who claim to have spoken in tongues, and by the way, when we're talking tongues, we're not talking the legitimate gift even. We're talking the gibberish, which is never the biblical gift. It's always a known language. And again, we already dealt with that in great detail. But during the first 500 years of the church, the only people who claimed to have spoken in tongues, i.e. gibberish, were followers of Montanists. You also, and he was branded a heretic. And you also had some people tr- reviving it also who were called the Gnostics. Okay? And that's some of the early form of, of New Agers uh, in one aspect of that. Now, so what, where to go after uh, Montanists? Throwing a little bit of the Gnosticism, kind of, kind of trying to go on there in the first few centuries after the, the death of the uh, last apostles. Where were we to go? Well, it's, it's hard to trace it, but believe it or not, this charismatic behavior, if you study the history, uh, a lot of it continued on through Catholicism, right? And Catholicism, as we dealt with 12 weeks in our Roman Catholicism study, uh, is not biblical Christianity. I uh, hope desperately you know that. Okay, it is a a works-based salvation. It is not grace at all, not even close. Okay, but do they downplay the Bible? Absolutely, they downplay the Bible. In fact, they say that you don't even have the ability to read the Bible, and you shouldn't read the Bible. Only the priest and the pope, right, has the authority to rightly interpret that thing. You stay out of it. So we can brainwash you. Who said that? Right? Okay, but we already dealt with that for 12 weeks. But again, uh, even through that, basically, after the birth of, when the church persecution stopped with Constantine, shortly after that, in the early 400s, you had the, basically the birth of the first pope and the Roman Catholic Church. Okay? Now, basically, then you study Western civilization over there. You know what that led people into? Not only the demise of the Roman Empire officially, but then you had these, this period called the Dark Ages. You know why it's so dark? Because Roman Catholicism took control over not just the religion, quote-unquote, they took over the governments. And you know what busted that out? It was basically in the 1500s. It started a little bit earlier before that. Okay. You can have the age of reason. Some of the intellectualism begin to buck against it. But basically that's the Protestant Reformation. They begin to buck out of it. And we finally came out of that. So, but during this time after Montanus, a lot of this charismatic behavior, believe it or not, continued on in Catholicism. Even today, Catholics that are merging together with the charismatics and vice versa. Why? Because there's a lot of similarities. Certainly, these both have a downplay of the scripture, right? And only certain men have the authority to give you the truth, right? So that's a very common. But also, if you study uh, Catholicism, they're heavy duty on experience. The incense burning and this and standing up and feeling religious and wearing gear and, and feeling spiritual and all these ritualistic behaviors you got to do. And, and, and surely that's got to be God and all that stuff. And not only that, but then they have their ecstatic experiences. A lot of Catholics supposedly have visions of the Virgin Mary. Oh, you know, all this stuff that's going on. It's a bunch of baloney. It's, it's charismatic stuff. Right? But then they also have, the, they get into contemplative prayer. and They just focus on something for a long time until something happens. Catholics do that. 
So, so basically to trace the thread from Montanism, it continued on through Catholicism, and now I'm going to pick it up to something uh, basically that was happening in the 1600s, okay? So, and this is, this is after the Reformation, right? And you have these people called the Sivinal, Sivinal Prophets, okay? And uh, that's where it started to pick up there over in Europe. Again, it still continued on through Catholicism. I'm just tracing the trail uh, the history of that. And this is the Sivinal Prophets, okay? Uh, and this was, again, the late 1600s, okay? It was a group uh, in southern France, and they began to, quote, prophesy and experience visions and speak in tongues, i.e. gibberish. So this is taking place in southern France. Now, it was considered not just the Sivinal Prophets, whatever, because that was the area it came from. That's why you got that name. Uh, but it was, once again, not just a movement. It was a prophetic movement well that must be from god anyway but obviously it was quote alien to the reformed tradition and it stirred up the peasants though of south of france now no offense to the peasants and some of them were kept in that position because of the feudal system and all that stuff and you got the higher ups and you got the people that worked the farms and basically slave and indentured servants and all that kind of stuff and we even dealt with that in the birth of our country okay but anyway but uh, guess what they didn't have no offense, they didn't have very good education. In fact, they probably had not much of none. You know, maybe couldn't even read and write. But here comes somebody, and this is before cable, even Netflix. And here's, uh, here comes somebody to your town, and they're going, and God told me to tell you. And, oh, that's, that's serious action. You get better ratings than HBO on that. Right? And people came, they flocked, and they got snookered by this activity. 1688, Isabeau, Isabeau Vincent, a young shepherdess, talked in her sleep, first in dialect, then in French. She uttered a succession of verses or passages from the Bible. So people flocked to hear her. This is good entertainment, man. Right? Uh, she was soon arrested, though, jailed and held in a convent. But the movement of lesser prophets, because she started a, a fire. Lesser prophets did not stop. The next year, in 1689, uh, it spread to another town, and speakers who got caught up into it stirred up the crowds. The majority of the prophets were young men and women, and again, most were, were illiterate. Wait a second. So if you're illiterate, guess what? One thing you probably, in your whole life, you've never once read the Bible. So did they even have a chance to be a Berean? No, they just got caught up into it. And that's sad. A lot of our founding fathers, you know why they started the public educational system in the beginning? Oh, which, by the way, if you do, and we've already done all these kind of studies before, because I know you guys got it all memorized. But the first 200-some years of our education here in the United States was kids learned the alphabet. It was all about the Bible. A, in Adam's fall, we send all. Z, all the way, if you keep going. Uh, Z, Zacchaeus did climb the tree, the Lord Jesus to see. That's how they learned the alphabet. And you know why they wanted people to learn to read? Because they got to get a good job. No, it was so they could read the Bible. Because when you read the Bible and you hide God's word in your heart, what does it do to the populace? Kind of keeps them in check, right? The Bible, they knew that the Bill of Rights and the Constitution was just a shell. That can't control the hearts of the people. So to protect our country from going back into tyranny okay, and into destruction, make sure the people can read so they can read the word of God. And God will tame their heart. Any wonder that the enemy's taken it away from the school system. 
And what do we got today? Yeah, that's a little side message. Anyway, so these guys were illiterate too. Uh, they, their passionate, uh, passionate speeches were accompanied by extraordinary body movements. The prophets moaned. They cried. They trembled out. Their bodies shook. They fell over. They lay lifeless on the ground for several minutes. This shocking behavior was met with almost general, here's the word, dun, 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 rejection. <laughs> so what does this sound like? What kind of behavior? The same thing we're being sold today. And these people at the time of the Reformation who came up with the solas, the famous solas, one of them was sola scriptura, Latin for what? The Bible alone is my sole source of faith and practice and truth. Uh, They rejected it. So what should we be doing to the same thing today? Rejecting it as well, right? Not being fuddy-duddies, right? They were called imposters, these people doing this, fakers, comedians, lunatics, and sick. Quote, many possessed women were even jailed, and doctors were sent to them every day. Ten years later, following the death of the last of these seven old preachers, prophets, what have you, the movement had a resurgence. So it's starting to die out, but once again, it took off again because this guy, a prophet Abraham Mazel, okay, was his name, he interpreted a dream. And here's what that dream was, folks. This is serious doom and gloom. This is why we need to listen to these kind of people over the word of God. This is why this movement was able to take off again. Because people heard this word from this so-called prophet. Quote, two big black oxen are eating all the cabbages in a garden. (laughs) Times are going to be tough. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Leave cows out of this, dude. Okay, cows are wonderful. Cows are beautiful. Let's move on. Now, are you kidding me? But that's the same thing, right? I had a dream. God told me. And I didn't just have a dream. Let me tell you what I meant. You can make up anything you want. Same thing going on today. This is going on back then. They rejected it, okay? Then another guy, a prophet, uh, Eli Merriam, sought refuge in England from where he attempted to spread the prophetic movement. He traveled across Europe but failed to find support. He kept getting kicked out, except in German, uh, with the German pietists at that time. So basically, they're bouncing around Europe, okay? But again, is this anything new? Is this a new movement of God? In the last, no, this is the same old baloney that people have been kicking, rejecting, rebuking, throughout the whole history of the church, okay? Now, history reveals that the vast majority of these movements that claim supernatural endowments are, here's their words, not mine, cults. Why? Because we saw before, there's five marks of a cult, right? You get God wrong, you get Jesus wrong, and of course, you get the Trinity wrong, right? You get man wrong, and you get salvation wrong. But what's the first thing? You get the Bible wrong. You get the source of authority wrong. And that's number one. Why? Because if you go outside the Bible, of course you're going to get everything else wrong. It spills downhill. That's the classic, not just biblical, but as we saw a secular definition of a cult. And so anybody who says, you don't need to follow the Bible, or I got something that's better than the Bible, or you need to listen to me above the Bible, that's a cult. And it needs to be rejected. The fact remains that since the canon of Scripture was completed, no genuine Orthodox movement has ever been led by people whose authority is based on, in in any way, on a private revelation from God. It's all basically the beginning of a cult. Okay? 
Many groups have claimed to receive new revelation, but all of them have been fanatical, heretical, cultic, and fraudulent. Both charismatics and non-charismatics need to consider well there is a parallel between these cult groups and, quote, not their words, mine, the modern charismatic movement. Wow. And let me give you just a couple of these examples. We've already dealt with a lot of this. Virtually every cult... And virtually every false teaching that has ever spawned has begun on the premise that its leader or leaders has access to new revelation. We saw that in New Age with how many people in there? They mentioned here Edgar Casey. He was called, remember that? The sleeping prophet. And right, he had these dreams. He would fall asleep. And he had these dreams, and these dreams had prophetic. Right? And that's supposed to be better than the Bible? Also, we had a guy, remember we dealt with that? L. Ron Hubbard. He had a new revelation, right? With an exploding volcano where aliens trap people in flypaper and sucked out their, remember that? Right? But what's the premise of that? I got a new revelation. This is even beyond the Bible. Joseph Smith. If you're in the charismatic movement and you say you got a new word from God, you just cut under, how are you going to witness to a Mormon? They come up to you and say, hey, you need to read the Book of Mormon. I ain't going to read the Book of Mormon. It's only the Bible. Well, how can you rebuke him? You sit there and say, you got a new word from God. All he's got to say is use your verbiage. Well, Joseph Smith had a new word from God too. And eventually, probably ain't going to get to it this week. Lord willing, next time, we're going to get into Mormonism again for a bit. Because did you know that Joseph Smith basically was charismatic? He was. He even believed, and I got it in print from history that he believed in speaking in tongues and the rolling on around and supposedly healing from all things. He was a charismatic. And because of that charismatic, guess what? He continued on. I got a new revelation from God, the Book of Mormon. Where do you think it came from? They came from a guy who basically was charismatic. We call him Joseph Smith. So how do you witness to somebody like that? If you sit here and go outside this book, this is serious stuff, folks. This is the scripture. This is all we need. It's called the sufficiency of the Bible. I don't need anything else other than this book, right? And if somebody comes to you and says that God told me, run, okay? Or if they say they get some, test it, be a Berean. Get back to the word of God, right? Uh, but all these people claim some sort of revelation, some kind from God. All have abandoned the tenet of sola scriptura and embarked on a dangerous quest for something more. The charismatic's acceptance of modern, quote, prophecy represents a turn down this perilous road, the gift of tongues was also prolific. Let's take a look at the next one. So there, there we go. From Montanus, it continued through the uh, Catholics, uh, the seven old prophets over there. And now we got this group, the Shakers. Dun, dun, dun. Shakers. The Shakers were a celibate communal religious sect in the mid-18th century in the United States. So here we see, finally, this charismatic behavior that was pretty much confined over uh, across the Atlantic, now hops the pond and comes to the United States of America through these people called the Shakers. Let's take a look at them. At the dawn of America's revolution, a small group of devoted believers arrived in New York City, fleeing religious persecution in England. Their leader, Anne Lee, a charismatic and outspoken visionary, challenged them to seek salvation through pacifism, celibacy, confession, and gender equality. 
Confronted by a culture hostile to these radical convictions, they created their own communities away from the rest of society and gained thousands of followers. For more than 200 years, they have sought perfection in all they do, from farming to producing goods coveted by the outside world. Their motto, hands to work and hearts to God. The Shakers, America's quiet revolutionaries. No, they were America's first charismatics is what they are. <laughs> but you see pictures of them, what were they doing? I mean, every single one of those pictures, when it showed them, they were there studying the Bible, man. They were right, heads right in there in the Bible. They were studying, man, preaching the word of God. People were flipping pages. Did you see the pictures? Yeah, I didn't either. What was it? They're dancing, hooping, hollering. These guys were America's first charismatics. I kid you not. Let me give you the proof. The Shakers uh, are a Christian. This is their words, not mine. Cult. A Christian cult that combines elements of Quakerism and charismatic worship practices. Their beliefs can hardly, they're hard to codify. It's like, what all did these guys believe? It's kind of hard because all congregants were allowed to prophesy and all prophecies were considered inspired. So they're just making up as they go. Anybody. Talk about a cacophony. Now they broke off. Why are they called the Shakers? They broke off from the Quakers. Okay. And they were very charismatic. And so they called them basically the Shaking Quakers and then got shortened to the, the uh, Shakers, okay? Uh, but they were heavily influenced by the French Charismatics who fled England to avoid persecution. Ah, so that's how it hopped the pond. So these French guys come over to the U.S. because they were being persecuted, dare I say, in some aspects, rightly so. I'm not condoning the killing or any of, some of the torture and persecution. I'm just talking about get out of here. You ain't preaching this church. Nothing wrong with that one. But they were escaping all that stuff, and they came to America, and they influenced these people. And they created another movement. They're basically America's first charismatics. Okay? Now, uh, the first Shakers were Jane and James Wardley, and uh, former Quakers who claimed to receive a divine command to start, here it is, the one true church. Isn't that what it always is? Right? The rest of us are all wrong. This is the one new church. Right? And Lee, as you saw on the gravestone there, uh, became a devout uh, convert and joined their group. Okay? While in England, the Shakers were often incarcerated for, listen, disturbing the peace, often in church services. That's happening. We've actually had that happen here. Uh, I don't know if you guys recall, this is uh, uh, several months back, but uh, no offense to this person. Uh, but remember that time out of the blue and Rob's leading the, the worship team and we're all singing love songs to Jesus and all of a sudden this person walks in, literally starts blowing a horn. Remember that? Do you guys remember that? I was right there. I'm going like, what in the world are you doing? That takes nerve. And then you didn't even stay for the whole sermon. You just eventually left. Yeah. So anyway, so they got kicked out of church services. Anne and her eight of her followers immigrated to America in 1774 to escape this persecution, right? Uh, six years later, they announced that the millennium had begun. So that would be 1780. Millennium lasts for, for those of you hooked on math and mathematical terms, 1,000 years. So that means, according to them, the millennium ended in 1880. Wow, so that means 
we have already gone through the great white throne judgment, and we're now in the new heavens and the new earth. Isn't this wonderful? But that's what they did. It's, we're in the millennium now. We're bringing in the kingdom of God now. Don't they use that same verbiage today? Yeah. And that's how they snookered people in, right? You got to join us. This is a new movement of the Spirit of God. This is ushering in the millennium. Join now before it's too late. Same old tactic. Same old baloney, right? Now, membership increased through proselytizing adoption and accepting indentured ch- children. So they went after the kids. Many were drawn by the Shaker's utopian ideals, communal living, and leadership opportunities for women. And again, what's another thing that the Charismatics, female pastors, and all that stuff we saw was unbiblical. Their numbers reached 6,000 at one point, but listen, membership later declined in large part due to an insistence on celibacy. As of 2011, there were only three known Shakers left in America. (laughs) Kind of hard to keep going when you can't have a family. And I kid you not, I, I even, that was 2011. I looked even for even more recent. As of 2017, they're down to two because one of those three died. <laughs> the Shakers taught, here's why. The Shakers taught one of their many false teachings that sexual intercourse is the root of sin. Hmm. But see, there was a personal thing going on. Their most influential leader became this Ann Lee lady. Uh, She had lost four children as infants and claimed to have received messages from God saying that sex was evil. And as a result, abstinence was required in the church as preparation for heaven. So obviously this is not grace. But do you see why she came up with that? Uh, Granted, hey, that would hurt to lose your kids. But then the turn around, God told me to tell you it's all evil. Well, granted, it was sad. It hurts. But you don't need to supposedly say that now nobody can. It's all... It was a personal thing. It's crazy what's going on. They also had the, quote, practice of, this is their words, not mine, spirit-led worship. What does that sound like? That's the same exact verbiage. Even the verbiage, I'm telling you, is nothing new. It's just been rehashed and used later down the road. Okay, now, so shaker belief also, listen, there's a bunch of false teachings. And again, that's not a surprise because you get outside the Bible, what are you going to get? It spills downhill, false teaching. Now, they believe that God is both male and female. They believe that Jesus was seen as the male manifestation of God and the leader of the first Christian church, but Mother Anne Lee, of course, was the female manifestation of God, the second coming of Christ, and the leader of the second Christian church, and the bride of Christ. She wore four hats, folks. A lot of pressure. Crazy. They also believed in salvation that was based on obedience. So if that's what these people truly believed, are they saved? No, not a single one of them. You can dance in those circles and hoop and holler and do all your spirit-led worship. Bunch of non-Christians. As we saw before, I don't know their heart, but folks, if you got people that all they're basing their so-called salvation on is an experience and they've never really bowed a knee to Jesus and they think that they got to do all these things in order to get saved, are they saved? And I'm talking about folks today. It's sad. It's crazy. It's dangerous. The Shakers were charismatic. Their services included much prophesying and speaking in gibberish. They danced. They shook, hence Shakers. Anyone, regardless of gender, class, or education, could preach or prophesy. Music was especially important in Shaker worship. Same thing today, isn't it? Right? And revelations could take the form of new songs. Now, wait a second. That's supposed to be even the latest, latest thing going on, supposedly by the Spirit of God, that these people are doing this spirit-led worship, and they're able to 
just spontaneously, spontaneously come out with new lyrics as people are just strumming the same thing over and over. Remember that? Shakers were doing it a long time ago. Nothing new under the sun, right? Then they had ecstatic dancing, spontaneous speaking in gibberish, was later standardized and developed into hymns with dances which shakers perform regularly. And believe it or not, shaker music, just like the charismatic music movement today, has influenced even modern artists. Believe it or not. Here's three examples. Aaron Copeland, R.E.M., and Weezer. That's that guy with the really bad asthma. He's got that puffer wherever he goes. No, I don't know who that is. I have no idea. He might be a nice guy. I'm just joking. Let's move on. Uh, The Shakers lived in communities uh, removed from worldly influences. They were strictly celibate. Men and women lived in separate dormitories. They only came together for worship. Notice it wasn't study the Bible. Worship and when it was time to work. Theologically, the Shakers are a legalistic cult developed by a deceived, emotionally wounded woman. Woman, their equating of sex with sin is obviously unbiblical, and Ann Lee was not the second coming of Christ. She was not the female manifestation of God, and the Holy Spirit would never influence someone to prophesy contrary to Scripture. Hello? But why did these people fall for it? How did they even get up to 6,000 people? I've got a theory, and it goes like this. They weren't Bereans. And they got caught up in this movement and emotion, Man, cable hasn't been invented yet. I've got nothing to do. I fed the cows. Now what? Look, these people are shaking over here. Let's go see, honey. Grab the kids. It's great entertainment. And they get caught up. And they fall for it because you're not a Berean into the word of God. Same thing's going on today, folks. Why do people pick church services and still continue to go to church services? I guarantee you, the one thing that's usually on the bottom of the list, and it should be the first on the list, the bottom of the list is the Bible. You know what they're really come for? Entertainment. Which they think that music should give them. And that's what not music ministry should be about. It's about glorifying Jesus Christ. It's about pro- providing songs that you, individually, I can't make you do it. And Rob can't make you do it. But to sing back those songs from your individual heart is a love song to Jesus. But nope, you got to have the lights, the camera, the action, the smoke, the, the pastor who doesn't just come on the stage. He rides that motorcycle and makes a grand entrance. And then he gets up there and talks about cats and his grandmother's cookies. You're dismissed. Oh, wasn't Yeah, what's he see Sunday? I got a video of that in action. <laughs> just crazy. He's actually cats anyway so anyway so again the theological beliefs this is how they end it the theological beliefs of the shakers should be quote avoided right can we agree on that you guys are being fundamentalists you have a religious spirit about you no i'm being a brain i'm reading the bible my bible tells me to reject you right so again if we see that montanus was said you're a heretic get out of here other early charismatics were rejected, and now the Shakers, the first ones in the United States, were to be avoided and led to a cult and false salvation. What should we be doing today with this whole premise up here? Run. Don't be a part of this. 
It's crazy. It's a cesspool. Oh, by the way, real quick, listen to all the things that the charismatics or the, the shakers did in their services. You tell me if there's anything new. What's being put upon us today by the charismatic movement. Quote, and direct quote, holy laughter. Drunk in the spirit. Being slain in the spirit. New revelations. Prophetic utterances. Jerkings, spasms, hopping, rolling on the ground. Dancing in the spirit. Getting songs while they're in trances. Belief that they were becoming the manifest sons of God. Belief in establishing the kingdom of God here and now. Low biblical uh, emphasis, anti-intellectual, high experiential and emotional emphasis, and equality of women in ministry. I think can be pastors and leaders and prophetesses. And all. It's the exact same thing. This was going on, folks, uh, early on in our country, unfortunately. Now, let me give you one more. Let's see if we can finish this one up real quick. This is in the 1800s. It started over in England. Okay, then again, it too hopped the pond. And it's another form of charismatics, right? And these were people called the Irvingites. Can anybody give a reason why they were called the Irvingites? It was after a Scottish preacher named Edward Irving. Okay, and this again was in the 19th century, the 1800s. Okay, now he was a Scotland pastor. He started out that way, and uh, but he went charismatic. He got hooked onto this, influenced by this kind of behavior, right? And he began his movement with quote Mary Campbell. This is in Scotland. Mary Campbell and James and Margaret MacDonald. Pay attention to that name. I'm going to share that with you in just a little bit. Now, they eventually formed what was called the Catholic Apostolic Church. And, of course, they emphasized the, quote, gifts of the Spirit, right? But church historian Philip Schaff spoke about these guys uh, and observed what they call speaking in tongues at the Irvingite Church that eventually made its way into America. They had one in New York. And here's what he observed. So this is an eyewitness to that. He said, several years ago, I witnessed this phenomenon in an Irving Knight congregation in New York. The words were broken, unintelligible, uttered in abnormal, startling sounds, in the state of apparent unconsciousness, without any control over the tongue, which was seized, as it were, by a foreign power. A friend and colleague of Dr. Briggs witnessed in 1879 what was going on in an Irving Knight church in London. So this one's back across the pond. He received the same impression. Now, there's something weird going on here. And it ain't from the power of God, right, is what they said. Okay, now, that uh, name, Margaret MacDonald. I want to sit on this just for a second, and then we'll continue on. The name Margaret MacDonald, if you're not familiar with that, but basically... People who are not pre-trib, pre-trib is we believe that the church leaves prior to the seven-year tribulation. But basically, anybody who's not, and that would be basically a mid-trib, who they think the church is in the seven-year tribulation, leaves in the middle. Then you got the pre-wrath, which according to our timeline would be about three-quarters of the way through, right? Or what's called post-trib, and that basically is you're in the whole seven-year tribulation, and here's your supposed blessed hope. Here's why Paul apparently said, encourage one another with these words. You're going through the worst time of the history of mankind all seven years, and somehow if you can stay alive at the back end, here's your blessed hope. You go up, and come right back down. Because it's at the end, when Jesus comes back in the second coming. I mean, they're all, I disagree with severely, uh, but that's what they believe. But anyway, Margaret McDonald has become the go-to person for these people to falsely accuse pre-tribbers of getting their belief, not from the Bible, but from this girl, from this charismatic girl 
who made a charismatic utterance, okay, and they say that she influenced a guy named John Darby, and he's the one that started this recent aberrant teaching called the pre-trib rapture. Is that true? Not even close. In fact, I'll give you a little teaser. We did a whole documentary on this called The Rapture, Don't Be Deceived. And uh, we traveled over to Scotland in Port Glasgow where Margaret MacDonald and these Irving Knights were and did the homework. And we even got a historical copy of her so-called charismatic utterance. And the funny thing is, when you actually read the utterance, <laughs> she's not even talking about it, which I fully disagree with what she was doing. I think it's demonic. And so did John Darby, by the way, who did know her, but he got his understanding about the differences between Israel and the church three years prior when he was held up after a bike accident in 1827. And he knew about her, but he called her demonic. So the whole thing's a bunch of baloney. But when you actually read what she uttered and it was written down, it's not even talking about pre-trib. It's post-trib. And yet these same people will sit there and say, the pre-trib rapture is a recent false teaching from Margaret MacDonald. This charismatic girl. That's where it came from. No, it's not. So let's give you a little journey from the rapture. Don't be deceived. Let's take a look. There are actually many people out there who say that they disagree with the pre-trib rapture because it's a spurious or recent teaching and therefore it cannot be true. They, they, they basically stayed and accused the pre-trib rapture teaching as having started with a man named John Darby, who then is supposed to have received this demonic idea from a charismatic girl named Margaret MacDonald from an utterance she made in 1830. However, when you investigate the facts of this recent popular accusation, the only thing you'll see is that it is spurious about it is the accusation itself. Like all the other false accusations against the pre-trib position, this too does not hold up under scrutiny. Margaret McDonald, and she was born right here in Port Glasgow, is where we're at. And it was in 1830, the story goes, that she received a demonic vision in the last days that included, supposedly, the pre-trib rapture. And that, therefore, this demonic vision is said to have later influenced a guy named John Darby, who, in turn, is supposed to have uh, promoted this idea of pre-trib rapture to you and I, the church today. And, of course, that would make this promotion and teaching of the pre-trib rapture according to this account, demonic, because of this supposed demonic origins from Margaret McDonald. And as you can see, uh, by that uh, charge, it's pretty serious. But be that as it may, is it even true? Did John Darby get the pre-trib rapture teaching from Margaret McDonald? Folks, not even close. Not even by a long shot. First of all, if you read the so-called utterance from uh, Margaret McDonald that she had received, it's not even supporting the pre-trib rapture position. 
Rather, it's supporting a post-trib position with a partial rapture. In fact, it may very well have been done at a church facility like this one. So it's a bunch of baloney. It's a lie. Of course, that's a little snippet there. And, uh, of course, the benefit of that is I'm not goofing off when I'm taking these trips to Europe. I'm working. So anyway, <laughs> no, but we wanted to go there because the people who put out that lie, one of the big promoters, they went over there too and put together their little thing. We says, oh yeah, we'll go there too and we'll expose the truth. So there was a, there was a reason for that. But basically, I want to bring that up because this is coming from the Irvingites, this accusation against the pre-trib. And one of the Irvingites, the early ones, was this Margaret McDonald. Now, let's go back to the guy that started this charismatic movement there, Edward Irving. His members of his congregation practiced speaking in gibberish prophesying, and the Urbanite prophets often contradicted each other. Shocker, because if it comes from God, which is, there's not a new one today because we got what we need, the Bible never contradicts itself. But they contradict himself, right? Uh, their prophecies failed to come to pass. What's Deuteronomy say? If somebody proclaims to speak in the word of God, it doesn't come to pass. What do you do? You stone them. And that's not going to one of these things here in Vegas that are, they made legal and that's a different kind of stoning. We're talking rocks. You're talking you're dead. You've got to say that nowadays because they're legalizing it all over the place. So, uh, you know, the younger generation, hey, whoa. But no. So we're talking about uh, you stone them. You die. Why? Because you're, you're calling God a liar. You said this came from God and it didn't come to pass. Again, that's another thing we dealt with before. And their meetings were characterized by wild ex- excesses. The movement was further discredited when some of their prophets admitted, listen, they admitted they falsified the prophecies. They cooked them up. They lied. It was staged. And others even, this is their words, not mine. Others even attributed their giftedness to evil spirits. So some of them in their own camp said, ah, this is demonic. Wow. Okay. This group eventually became the Catholic Apostolic Church that taught also many false doctrines, embracing several Roman Catholic false doctrines and created 12 apostolic offices. Now notice, and we'll eventually, Lord willing, get to this, but notice who slides perfectly together. The charismatic movement and Roman Catholicism. Okay, and we're going to see that uh, eventually. But Irving, his decisions to permit tongues or gibberish in any service, isolated some of his more sedate parishioners. In other words, they got upset about it because, quote, they objected to the frequent disruptions during the Sunday morning sermon. It's kind of hard to learn when people are, ah, doing whatever. You're just getting into it and somebody goes, hey, oh. Right? That's what, that's what they're saying. Now, it got even worse for him. The congregants got mad, but he himself, even though he never, quote, spoke in tongues or gibberish, his inability to quiet these people down cost him. Number one, he was expelled by the Scottish Presbytery uh, over issues on Christology, Christ, started getting into a false view of Christ, and this whole tongues gibberish issue. Then, that was bad enough, so he gets kicked out of his denomination, basically. Those who possess the gifts claim the spiritual authority to recognize themselves as the church of the Spirit. Then they claim that the authority, they claim the authority to direct all aspects of the church and they silenced him, quote, in the name of the Holy Spirit. So he lost everything. He got kicked out and then the people that were doing this charismatic stuff says, no, the Spirit of God told us we're the ones in charge, not you, get out of here. Wow. And it says, quote, he died in 1834, still a young man. Wow. 
But the fanatical sect did not prevent the extension of Irving's influence beyond the great confines, uh, the confines of Great Britain. As we saw, the United States, it hopped over to the U.S., and uh, they made contacts with small but interested Christian groups of various affiliations, right? So you got the shakers going on already and things of that nature, and here comes these guys. So a lot of this, again, history was confined over there uh, in uh, Europe, okay? And it stayed there, okay? Montanus, Catholicism, Seminole, they got France, okay? Irby Knights were originally there, but they hopped upon, the shakers hopped upon, who were influenced by the French people, Okay, now guess what's starting to take off? I'll use this word, unfortunately, in America. Charismatic mindset. Charismatic teaching, false teaching that you got a word from God outside the word of God. Now, what that has led to is we're going to pick up about the mid-1800s. Okay, after the second great awakening in our country's history, revival that took place. Okay, and then we're going to see another charismatic person arose. They got a new word from God, and they started a new movement. And that new movement is called Mormonism. Joseph Smith. And that dude was charismatic through and through, as well as involved in the occult. But we'll get to that, Lord willing, next time. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple of things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying, okay? How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand, okay? Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well... You guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart 
but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven. I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon. That God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven. Right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what he was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey, folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave, and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven.
God bless.